0: Listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, March the 4th, in the year of our Lord 2019. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we have been looking forward to the beginning of the season of Lent. This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, which begins Lent, but the following Sunday is the first Sunday in Lent. And that's what we'll be looking at today. There are readings from Psalm 91, Deuteronomy 26, Romans 10, and Luke chapter 4. The primary gospel reading from Luke chapter 4 is the actual temptations of Jesus. So that's what we're going to be looking at right now as we take a look at what? The first Sunday in Lent. We're beginning with Luke chapter 4, 1 to 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Now, what is being talked about of the Jordan? This is, of course, where John the Baptist was preaching and Jesus was baptized. So after his baptism, and we take a look at his baptism as kind of the installation of Jesus, and at that point, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, Jesus begins his official ministry. He's full of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit in a dove came down and alighted upon him. And... Interestingly, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. That's God himself leading God into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted by the devil. Now, this is Luke. The Gospel of Matthew often has many look backs at the Old Testament, because Jesus is fulfilling that which did not occur properly by the Old Testament people. In their wilderness wanderings for 40 years, remember they really got to the promised land in two years, but they refused to go in, and so God had them travel in the wilderness another 38 years. They worshiped golden calf. All kinds of strange things were happening. Jesus, he had 40 days in the wilderness without sin. That's why last week's lesson talked about Jesus has greater glory than did Moses because the one who builds the house is greatly honored than the house itself. And Jesus is the builder of the Holy Christian Church. So he was being tempted by the devil for 40 days. We have three temptations, and that was near the end of his temptation, so who knows how many more he had in the wilderness. And why was the devil tempting Jesus? Because if he could get Jesus to do one sin, then the death at the cross would have to be for his own sin rather than for the sins of the entire world. During this time, he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, "'If you are the Son of God,' command this stone to become bread. Now, notice the word there, if you are the Son of God. That's really important because this is even more a challenge to Jesus. So far you haven't shown us to be the Son of God. If you are truly the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Now, I find that really interesting. A lot of people don't really get that when we get to the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus didn't command stones to become bread, but he commanded a few morsels of bread to be able to fill up 5,000 men, not even counting the women and the children. So if the creation of bread shows him to be the son of God, then from the words of the devil himself, we're hearing that Jesus is the son of God in light of his later miracle. But Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, in each of the commandments, Jesus responds to the devil. And he responds in light of a passage from Deuteronomy. And that's really important to remember because what Jesus is doing, he is meeting the challenge of the devil by remembering what the scriptures say. And this is really important. And the reason that it's important is, is because it helps us also to overcome temptations of the devil when we remember the Word of God. Uh, for example, in a marriage, if there is a temptation to break the marriage vows, then you remember a passage like Ephesians where it talks about that the husband to the wife is like Christ to the church. And it really helps people come to an understanding about how important is the message of the scriptures. The message of the scriptures really helps us to understand that God's word is everywhere. You know, I love doing trick questions. And yesterday in Bible study, one of them, I said, "Uh, by the way, a lot of people don't know this, but who is the author of the gospel according to St. Matthew? And somebody mentioned, well, Matthew is. And I said, no, Matthew is the writer. God is the author. Now, that's important to remember. And the reason that's important to remember is because there's not a place in the Bible that is not the word of God. Really, really important here. That, that's what we're seeing. So, remember, Jesus was hungry, but so also was were the Israelites when they were going through the wilderness. And here we have... Jesus being hungry, having the same temptation, but where the Israelites began to complain to Moses about God, Jesus speaks the word of God instead from the book of Deuteronomy. The next temptation, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And what does Jesus respond with? Again, from Deuteronomy You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Once more, the devil loses out. See, the devil always has kind of white lies. Part of it is true. Part of it is not. Like he did with Eve. He said, you will know the difference between good and evil if you only eat from the forbidden fruit. And, of course, she did. They recognized the difference between good and evil, and they recognized that they had lost the glory that was shining around them. They were naked. They tried to cover it up with some fig leaves, which, of course, doesn't work, until God gave them the skin of an animal. The fact of the matter is, is God is the only one to be worshipped. We find this even with the Apostle John. When he's writing the book of Revelation near the end, he gets some information from an angel And it's really important information. And John is about ready to worship the angel. But this created angel says, no, do not worship me. Worship God. And then the next section is Jesus on a white horse. And he, of course, is God to whom we are to give our worship. So what's the white lie that the devil is saying in this second temptation? To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. When was it delivered to the devil? Well, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, this earth became the realm of the devil. But he could not give its glory to Jesus because Jesus already had its glory. Take a look at John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And there was nothing made that was not made by the word. So Jesus already had possession of the entire earth. It's just that the devil had the opportunity to tempt people and bring them into his kingdom. And that's why Jesus came, to remove people from the kingdom of the devil. And that was done primarily through word and sacrament. The word of God, Romans 10 says, people hear the word of God and they become converted. In baptism, baptism is parallel to Noah, saved by waters, so also baptism also saves us. And in the Lord's Supper, take, eat my body, take, drink my blood, and you receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus once more reminds the devil of a passage from scripture where it says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So this is kind of ironic because what Jesus is saying to the devil is, you should be worshiping me I do not worship you and is a real put down of the devil and a failure in his next temptation. Finally, he takes him up to Jerusalem and sets him on the pinnacle of the temple and says to him if here again is that word if "if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written and then the devil quotes the scriptures. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So the devil can use the Bible, just like every false teacher does, but with quite a different interpretation. Now, what you don't see in the English is there was a tradition that was considered by some in Judaism, that when the Messiah comes, he would appear at the pinnacle of the temple. And this should have occurred on the Day of Atonement. That's a a once-a-year item where sins are forgiven. Well, if this was near the Day of Atonement, what a temptation that would have been for Jesus to get up at that pinnacle, and then jump down and not be hurt. Wow, the people would believe him to be the Messiah immediately. Why wouldn't he do that? He wouldn't have to go to the cross. They would proclaim him to be the Messiah just by seeing him at the pinnacle of the temple, and particularly in jumping down and not hurting himself. Well, the problem is throughout the New Testament even those who believed what the Messiah was they often had a wrong interpretation of that remember after the feeding of the 5,000 they jumped to the conclusion that Jesus was a bread king in other words a temporal ruler who had come to get rid of the Romans restore Israel to its former grandeur supply people with what they needed, fruit and animals and bread. But no, that was not the proper understanding of Jesus as the Messiah. The promised Messiah was come to take away the sins of the world by dying on the cross and taking upon himself the sins of the world. We had a real interesting discussion in the Bible study yesterday. It was about the Heidelberg Disputation. And I might want to take some time uh, to deal with this. That the real problem with people who do not think they are sinners isn't just that they're disobedient without knowing it. But the real problem is they have no fear of God. This is why Martin Luther begins each one of his commandments. We should fear, love, and trust in God. And then it goes on. And this fear isn't a servile fear where a servant is really afraid of the master. If he doesn't do his work right, he could be put to death. Now, that's a fear. But it's more what's called a filial, F-I-L-I-A-L, fear, that a child has toward parents. I don't know about you, but every time I did something wrong, contrary to what my parents had told me, I was afraid for them to find out about it because I knew I would have some kind of a punishment. And that punishment wouldn't be because they hated me, but because they loved me. They hated what I did. And we got into a conversation that God the Father, his full wrath went upon his son. And why was that? Because his son had taken upon himself the sins of the whole world. It's the reason behind the statement Jesus made, quoting Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God's answer to that is, I've forsaken you because you have the sins of the world upon your shoulders. And that occurred, of course, when Jesus was baptized. John says, no, 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 no. I need to be baptized by you. You don't need to be baptized by me. Jesus says, no, it's necessary that I be baptized by you to fulfill all righteousness. Because it was a baptism of repentance for sins. And Jesus took upon himself... The sins of the world. As Corinthians says, He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God because of Him. Very, very important passage. So, after the devil says, You know, if you jump down from this pinnacle, they'll, you know, be assured that you are the Messiah and therefore you won't have to do anything else. But see, the purpose of Jesus' coming wasn't just for people to recognize him as a Messiah, as good as that was. But the proper Messiah would have been important. But more than that, his real purpose in coming was to die upon the cross to take away the sins of the world by taking the punishment upon himself. And what does Jesus answer him? Again, from Deuteronomy, it is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Really important here. Again, a passage from Scripture. So what is Jesus saying? One interpretation is, You shall not put God the Father to the test by having me appear on the pinnacle and jumping down. But I also like the understanding, you shall not put me, the Lord your God, to the test. Now, the devil doesn't want to consider Jesus as his God, but there is nobody else who is even the God of the devil. Just because a person doesn't believe in the true God doesn't mean that the Holy Trinity is not their God. And there will come a time at the end of judgment when even they will recognize him, them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to be the true God. The text goes on, and when the devil had ended every temptation He departed from him until an opportune time. Now, this is kind of important. It says, had ended every temptation, which gives the impression there were more than these three temptations. But then he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. When would that be? That would be, when he could tempt Jesus again to forego what was necessary, namely the death on the cross, in order that he could therefore be safe. I'm thinking particularly in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter takes out his sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus, and Jesus says, Peter... If I wanted, I could bring a whole group of angels down, a legion of angels, and they would protect me and stop from what is happening. I, I consider that to have been a temptation from Satan. Jesus, you could forego not only the arrest, the trial, but particularly the execution you are about to experience. Because it's clear from his prayers, that what worried Jesus most, what concerned him most, was his separation from the Father, not just the pain of the crucifixion. And so here the devil is giving another reason why Jesus could forego what he had come to do. And even at Transfiguration, which we spoke of last week, as the last Sunday in the Epiphany. Elijah and Moses are talking about the decease of Jesus, which normally means death, but can also be translated as departure. In fact, the original Greek is the word Exodus that they're talking about. That just says Israel was able to exit from Egypt through the Red Sea, so also Jesus is going to be exiting from the world through the cross, the burial, the resurrection, and finally the ascension into heaven. Well, the disciples are looking up saying, where did he go? And the angel said, don't worry, he'll return in like manner on that day of judgment. The temptations of Jesus once more, show in great highlight how much Jesus loves you. That he refuses to take away the horrible punishment that he will be receiving, even though he does not deserve it. Because of his great love for you, he's willing to take your sins to the cross and even be deserted by the Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And therefore is able to proclaim the gift of the forgiveness of sins to all who trust in him. This is the beginning of the Lenten season, the temptations of Jesus, and we're going to be going through other incidents that we pray we're going to be able to give some great insight as to how much God truly loves you. On the next long gospel, which with Mark Smith, we like to go over the hymn, we're going to be doing a hymn, O Lord, throughout these 40 days, because it is an explanation in hymn form of what we just talked about. I'm Tom Baker. Till tomorrow, God bless